You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. We've got a great show for you this week. I am over the moon to bring you my conversation with the amazing Rebecca Rush. Rebecca is a professional athlete and a woman of myriad accomplishments. She's done everything from adventure racing to rock climbing to the arduous Iditarod bike race in Alaska. She's the best-selling author of her memoir, Rush to Glory, which I had the honor of helping her write. Blood Road, the documentary about her 1,200-mile cycling journey along the Ho Chi Minh Trail to find where her father was shot down during the Vietnam War, won an Emmy. She's a seven-time world champion, including winning 24-hour solo mountain bike world championships three times. And she didn't even start racing mountain bikes professionally until she was 38 years old. I met Rebecca when she came to Pennsylvania, where I live, to race the Transylvania Mountain Bike Epic Stage Race in 2010. That wasn't her best race, as you'll hear, and I actually ended up winning that one, but we became fast friends. We'd go on to race the Brazil Ride, which is a seven-day mountain bike stage race, which we won in 2013, and the Israel Epic, which we got second overall in 2015. Both races were when we were in our mid-40s and heading into perimenopausal years. Now, for the first time ever, Rebecca talks about her experience with menopause, and she shares some training stats pre- and post-menopause from her coach, Tim Kusick, which honestly blew me away. I think you're going to be really inspired by this one. So without further ado, give it up for Rebecca Rush. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Celine. (laughs) You look lovely. It's nice to see you. So do you. Thanks. Where are you? I'm, I'm home. This is my office. This is my little home office. Oh, I like it. I yeah, like it. it's just got trinkets from travels and, you know, all that. It's, um, as you probably know, when you work from home, it's good to have a dedicated office space to 100%. not be in your bedroom or your kitchen or <laughs> whatever yeah. else. So what, what uh, we're going to cheers tonight here. What are you drinking? Oh, I have, um, I have a little whiskey. In, oh, uh, nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> what have you nice. got? I have a Dreaming Tree crush red because you know we're crushing our dreams here nice (laughs) i like it cheers 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 (laughs) so thank you thank you thank you for joining me on this i'm super excited to have you and it's uh it's just very it's very exciting what a journey we've been on here i know i like we're teammates you know this is really fun (laughs) to sort of be doing parallel paths and you know different but um supportive careers and it's kind of fun yeah it's been great. It's been great. So, so let's, let's take people back because not everybody knows that we are sisters from another mother and that we've been <laughs> in this journey for a while. But I interviewed you professionally a bunch of times, but we didn't actually meet until the Transylvania Mountain Bike Stage Race in 2010, correct? 
And we stayed in the bunkhouse together. Yeah, yeah. And that was like, we got to know each other really well because we're basically really well. <laughs> sticking together like camp, you know, summer camp, literally in a kid's summer camp with like, literally, you know, like kind of, you know, gross mattresses and squeaky bed springs and probably 50 people, stinky bike racers all crammed into a little, uh, a big cabin. It was, it was actually really fun, but we all and got to know each other really, really well. Yeah, and one bathroom. We could have used two. That yeah. would have been, if I had one thing, I would have been like, mm. But, you know, I never actually, until much after the fact, thought about it. But I was 41 at that time, probably, you know, and which would have made you, you were about the same age, but you would have been 41 or 42 as well. Yeah. Um, and you were just four years into your pro mountain bike racing career at that point. You started That's at correct. 38. Yes. <laughs> which is... Yeah. Well, and I remember in Transylvania, I, you probably remember, technically, I got my butt kicked out there riding on the East Roosts and Rocks. And uh, I was like, I'm sure you remember, I just had the hardest time ever. And I just, you know, had the fitness, but didn't have the skill. And I was so impressed by you and everybody who lives out there and rides out there. And I was just like, oh, man, I have so much work to do. <laughs> There are, there are a lot of rocks. <laughs> there, oh there my gosh, of... yeah. I got really kind of a bit demoralized at that race. I remember it was really hard for me. Yeah, no, I know. I had a lot, I had tons, but I did, I had tons of respect for you though, because I mean, you, at one point, I think it was that year, you you fell on that ridge and you had like the biggest bruises, the most gnarly bruises on your hands. Wasn't it that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you like, but you finished and you were, you were an amazing sport. And I think that that just spoke legions. Like you, you know, a lot of people pack up their ball and go home. And I know that's not your attitude, but I was like, I really respected that you were such a, a good sport. Queen of pain, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's important, you know, it's really hard to learn a new sport as an adult. Um, it's yeah. really hard to, learn anything new. I mean, you think back when you're kids, you're learning new stuff every day and it's just kind of normal to be failing and trying something and not be good at something. Um, You try the violin or you try this or you try that. And as adults, we sort of like find our area where we're good and stay in that path. And I think it's really healthy. I mean, to have the beginner's mind and to learn and learn a language, music, sport, whatever, as an adult, it's a lot harder, but um, it's really rewarding. And so I feel like mountain biking has been a bit of that for me of, of really kind of I've always been an athlete but um yeah really learning a new sport and cross-country skiing was the same and it's I think it I don't know you've got to be sort of tough skin to to, to learn new things like that especially when all <laughs> yeah. your friends around you are really good right like, right dang like I'm yeah but I mean yeah but it's good but to do it's humbling but you though. also I mean it that was a very unique I mean that that east coast rocks is is what it is but let's let's be clear during that same period you were you were kicking ass you were you won the 24-hour solo mountain bike world championships three times right yeah three yeah, times. masters cross-country world champion at freaking 41 leadville 104 times and you set the coca Pelle trail record the list goes on and on and on um, so you, you were, you were mastering that sport, even if you hit some glitches with some rocks here and there, but, but at that point, like, okay, you're, you're 38 through 40 something. Did you have, did you have thoughts of like, how long can I, even when you started at 38, did you go, how long can I do this? Did that ever even cross your mind or was that not even in your head at that point? 
You know, at that point, it hadn't crossed my mind because no, I wasn't, you know, I was exploring something new. I was learning a new sport. I was getting faster. I was seeing results. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't until other people started being like, oh, she's 40 or she's this or she's that. And I was like, oh, wait, I am. Whoops. Yeah. Like, and, I relate to that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, people Googling I mean, my I age. Didn't, I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't feel limited by it. and I, yeah. And it really was it really was the bike industry that first was like, Ooh, she won level at this age or she won mm. worlds at that age. Um, because I think there's this, um, typically bike racing it's changing now, um, or competition is thought of as, you know, a young person's sport or, you know, you mm. retire at, at 27, if you're an Olympian and you're at 30, you're old. And so I think the sort of the, lens that sport is looked at is really changing. And that's because of people like Diana Nyad or you or me, or like you're seeing skiers doing amazing things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think our perception is changing instead of like, oh, you do a sport and then you retire from that sport and then you do something else. You know, right. I, you become an accountant or you're a marketing person right. <laughs> or you work in R&D. <laughs> Right. And so I wasn't thinking about age at that point. I was really actually focused on learning a new skill and getting better. And because I was seeing improvement, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, And I've been a lifelong athlete. And so, you know, I had that foundation to build on, but I'm learning the skill and learning how to train and train with power and have a coach. And it was all really new and exciting. Um, And, and so, no, I wasn't just like, oh, the clock's ticking. I can only bike race for a couple of years. I was just like, I was following my passion and what seemed interesting to me. Like I went to Transylvania Epic because it seemed like a cool place to ride. And they like pitched it as adult summer camp, like you said, <laughs> like we said, and I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And so I, instead of like being limited, I was more like, oh, there's this whole world open to me. And I was really excited by it. And, you know, I'm 51 now and it's, it's only very recently where I've actually started to feel, definitely feel some changes, you know, mm-hmm, in flexibility mm-hmm. or, you know, I need to rest a little bit more, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I still don't feel, I'm not limited by my body. And that right. is super exciting um, that, that, you know, hopefully there's a lot more time on the clock because I have more adventures that I want to do. But I was definitely not thinking of that during the Leadville years or when I met you or we were bike racing. Um, yeah. And as you know, we were, you know, 2013 we're comp- and 2015, we were in Brazil yeah. and Israel. And I didn't even think of it then. We were 45, 46. 45. Well, and yeah, we were racing then. against World Cup mountain bike women and beating who were them, like beating get, them. <laughs> and beating them. Exactly. Um, yeah. And like going head to head with 25 year olds. And that is super motivating for me. It's, it's not motivating necessarily because I'm like, oh, I beat a 25 year old. It's right. motivating to me for my own um, confidence, but also to show other women and other people that like, yeah, age is, is not really relevant at this point. And, and you could still have really high peak performances, you know, definitely in your 40s and 50s and you can be like i i didn't really put two and two together until much later but i was definitely 
perimenopausal for sure. I think once we hit Israel, because I had started around 46, I definitely started like waking up in the middle of the night in a pool of sweat, you know, but like when I race hard, like that would happen sometimes anyway, I would like furnace at night, you know, that like weird phenomenon. So I think I attributed some of it to that, even though like it wasn't always when I was racing and I had like some other stuff like anxiety, but that that's not so new for me either but definitely like looking back like I can tell that my hormones were sort of doing the SOS thing like hey we're fluctuating and sending up some symptoms that because we were still training and competing at that level I don't think I thought much about um did you have anything at all going going on at the at that point or is there no, a place you no, can pinpoint? I didn't experience yeah I haven't experienced any sort of body changes until really the last maybe couple years Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, you know, we're, if you're an athlete, you're pushing yourself, you're used to waking up in night sweats or like restless leg syndrome, or you can't right. sleep or, you know, your stomach's upset. And so it's, it's actually really hard to attribute, um, what's going on in your body from the stress that you put it under voluntarily or the stress <laughs> that is going on, um, hormonally or right. by what you ate or, if you're not hydrated enough, it's, it's actually really, the body is such a complex machine and there's Mm -hmm. lots of symptoms of different things that can come about. And, you know, stress is stress, whether it's emotional stress or physical stress. And even as a a sort of well-trained, well-tuned athlete and somebody who I feel like I'm in tune with my body, it's, it's really hard to know where the signals are coming from and, and what they mean (laughs) and, and what that means for your performance. And, I think like you, you know, if we start talking about hormonal changes as a female athlete, I didn't really, the, the only thing that really clued me in was, um, there was a period of probably, like I said, maybe a year and a half ago where there Mm -hmm. were, there was a while of like six to eight months where I was waking up every night, really sweaty and just Mm -hmm. like, well, this is weird. Okay. This is not related to bike racing. And then it just kind of went away and I was like, okay. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, this is the first conversation I've ever had about, um, these kind of changes as as an athlete and in preparation for this podcast, it was really cool. I, I actually, um, reached out to my coach, Tim Cusick and was like, let's do some comparison, you know, cause he's got Mm -hmm. all my files from, um, even my former coach Dean of like, let's really see what's going on because we intuitively know and, that's the beauty of a power meter or any sort of measuring devices is instead of just going, well, I think I'm in shape or I think I'm the same. You can actually truly measure it. And that's been really cool not to be hyper, um, hyper dependent on technology, but it actually is a proof of measurement that, Mm -hmm. you know, the work that you're doing is good and that you're in shape. Um, And so it was really cool to do a comparison with coach Tim and really what he found, um, comparing, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure make it clear. Uh, Did you, did you tell him like, does he know where you are in your cycles? Does he know like I, where you are in the menopausal journey, so to speak? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to ask coach Tim this. And cause I told him we were coming on this podcast and we were going to talk about this kind of stuff with you. And he said, well, I need to know a date, you know, and he was, 
right, really right. upfront about it. And Tim coaches women, um, primarily, yeah. you know, elite, um, you know, world-class Olympic level female cyclists. And so, you know, we'd never had that conversation, but he was like, okay, give me a date. And I gave him a date. The and date so, being like when you think you hit menopause per se. Yeah. Like that, okay. the period of about a year and a half ago where I was going through all those night sweats and right, all that kind gotcha. of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've never had a really, um, I've never had a really uh, reliable or dependable period anyway. And so part of that was like, it's always been really sporadic and very light. And so that wasn't a good gauge for me. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. And, but anyway, yeah, I gave him a date and I said, well, let's look at two years before, two years after. I love this. <laughs> and kind of compare. And it was really mm-hmm. cool because what he found is I'm actually the same. Um, and he ran power numbers. And so, you know, so he had your numbers from Dean, the coach that you were working with. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're, they're good friends and they work together. And I mean, really finding that, you know, anaerobic power and aerobic power were essentially the same, you know, two years prior and two years post, which is really exciting for me. And I kind of had that sense. Like, I feel like I could go back and train really hard and win Leadville or, go to 24 hour worlds. I, like I said, I don't feel limited by my body Mm -hmm. and, but it was nice to actually see that, you know, hard evidence, um, in the training statistics. And it's it's pretty cool. Um, that said, he also did come back though with things that, you know, Stacy Sims knows is like, Mm -hmm. Hey, there's some other accommodations you have to make. And I've already started been, he said, the numbers are the same, but he said, I bet you felt different. And, I'm, and we, what like do you I mean said, by that? Well, he, he was like, I bet you felt, you know, he put here some examples of, you know, um, more sensitivity to carbohydrates and maybe some gut issues or a lack of sleep, you know, trouble mm-hmm. sleeping. And he nailed it. I, we never talked about it, but you know, for the first time in my life, I've had like a little more fitful sleep than usual. Um, and I've always common. been somebody who could fall asleep. Yeah, on the you side are, of you are amazing. This woman like, is amazing. <laughs> Oh my God. Like not to, not to sidetrack you, but like for you to say that, because we would be like at some godforsaken stage, right? Like in some, like some hut somewhere and you wouldn't, you'd be like, good night, Celine, like out, like, and then you would not wake up again until like the alarm went off. And I'm like up every hour. I'm looking at the clock. You were just, I've, I've always been I, in awe of your If there ability. was a world champion for sleeping, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have won it for sure. Because, yeah, I've always been that way. Um, and, you know, the last year and a half, two years is the first time where I'm, I'm waking up at two in the morning and like, huh, what do I do? <laughs> and what so, do you do? Um, you know, I've actually really, I've started um, tracking my sleep more, um, okay. you know, with my Garmin watch, I have a Phoenix 6S and, it, and it's kind of amazing. And now I never want to take it off because I never really tracked my sleep. And, mm-hmm. and so I started being like, okay, well, I got to figure out what's going on. Um, and the same as training with power or Watts. I'm like, well, there's measuring tools for this. And so I just started paying a little more attention and listening to things like, you know, not eating too late before going to bed, turning off the screens a little bit. It's all stuff that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is one change that I've never had to, I could normally drink a pot of coffee and go right to bed. Right. right. Um, But I'm like, okay, well now I can't do that. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually making me pay attention more to hydration and you know, the time that I go to sleep and, I have to tell you when I look at my watch and it like the next morning and it said like 
you had excellent sleep, you know, you're restored to sleep. Like I get really happy when I see that little score. And when I see a bad mm -hmm. score, I can start to be like, okay, well, I didn't really hydrate. Um, right. My mind was busy from work. I mm -hmm. drank, you know, drank too many beers or, or whatever. Yeah. Like you I just see got an aura direct. ring. It tells me the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's been really cool measurement of um, just accountability. And that's, mm -hmm. the, I would say, you know, um, as an older athlete, um, the main thing I notice is I just have to pay attention to some of those details like stretching and sleep and hydration that I could blow off, you right. know, 10 years ago and didn't even think about them. How's the recovery? Is that, has that, um, do you take any more time, easy days or hard, off days or anything like that? Anyway? Yeah. I mean, my training's changed a little bit in that, um, you know, and I do, I'm trending towards doing uh, ultra endurance type mm -hmm, events mm -hmm. now, longer and longer yeah. and longer. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a million more hours on the bike. Um, I, right. I do actually prioritize rest a little bit more. Um, probably the biggest thing, because I work as well and have a business mm -hmm. to run, is trying to manage the other life stress. Um, I, you know, that is more of an impact than training stress for right. me. And right. so, so yeah, I take, you know, at least a couple rest days a week, but they're active recovery where I'm walking my dogs or I'm doing mm -hmm. something else. Um, but bigger is that I can't pile on training stress, work stress, lack of sleep, um, poor nutrition. I can't do, I can't do all of those sort right, of bad right. choices. <laughs> right. That, that makes sense. You also, you also shared uh, with me earlier that I thought was really awesome. A little, experiment you did in preparation for your Rebecca's private Idaho challenge that had to be kind of shared virtual experience this year. I, I'd love you to, to talk a little bit about that because I, I thought actually that was super remarkable. Yeah. So the RPI challenge, you know, I launched that this year, um, you know, at this was been year number eight of private Idaho and you came year number one, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and Dave were here and you're like, let's do this. Um, and so, yeah, I launched Rebecca's private Idaho challenge this year in kind of a different way. It was sort of a, you know, DIY at home, design your route at home. Um, but the, really the big goal was I needed motivation myself. And my coach mm -hmm. Tim is like, what's it going to take to get you to get back to training again? I'm like, I need accountability. I need an event to train for. I need a community. And so I needed the same st stuff that everybody else needed. And so the RBI challenge, I launched this eight week program that really was meant to bring anybody into my world and give access to my coach, mm -hmm. um, nutritionist, Stacy Sims was on, you know, yeah, you provided some great. pro tips and really the idea was to give people a training program, a goal and let them into my world to educate everyone. And we taught them how to like plan a route on Garmin connect and how to execute at home and how to use a power meter. And it was super fun. But part of that is that challenge is I was training alongside with everybody um, doing very similar workouts. And, you know, there was a week that came up that we had to do an FTP test. And mm -hmm. so it was like, all right, I have to do it. I can't bail because all these other people are doing it. And, um, you know, I don't really like those kind of tests. So instead I yeah. decided to do, there's a hill climb at home, the first climb of the Rebecca's private Idaho route trail Creek summit that you're Which very is about a five with. mile climb, right? About? Yeah. It's, it's That's a the one you ever stood on, right? 
Yes. And it's my home <laughs> training ground hill. I love it. It's an amazing hill. It's a little more mm -hmm. than 20 minutes to get up it, but I'm like, I'm going to do my FTP there and just see. Which is perfect you know. because it's about 20 minutes. Yeah. Right? It's like 25 minutes or, or yeah. something like that. And so I was like, well, I'll do it there. And then I'll just kind of, I'm curious. I'll just kind of see what my time is. And Ted King had been here the week before and he was trying to go for the KOM, Strava KOM. And so it kind of put it in my head. I'm like, huh, I wonder what the QOM is. And I've never really chased those. Right. Um, but I kind of looked it up and I looked up a bunch of my friends' names and people who won RPI. <laughs> and it was like, oh. And then I saw where my ranking was. I was like, oh. Um, and so I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll just see how close I can get to that. And it was really cool. I, you know, I didn't, the, I think the, the QOM is 25 minutes or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Who has as was, it? I'm curious. I can't remember. And I feel terrible because I should remember. No, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm I'll just look like, it up. We can put it yeah. in the show notes. I know it's Casey um, or Meredith. It has to be somebody who, or is it a local? We don't know. No, it's not a local. It's somebody from our PI, um, but okay. it wasn't. Yeah, I'm, I was feel badly. Was it Casey Armstrong I, or Meredith? No, Lauren, no. Right? Okay. It okay. wasn't any of the women who had eventually won. And gotcha. so I, it was somebody who was just somebody who crushed that climb. Totally. And so yeah. I went out and kind of had that in my head and, and partway up the climb was kind of clear. I wasn't going to get the, the QOM or mm -hmm. even be close to it and sort of went through this little mental sort of, you know, flogging. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't and have I any idea like, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? But my time, like my best time is still out there to grab. And so yeah. kind of the, I got pretty motivated for that and started racing myself instead of, you know, another person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I ended up having, you know, getting my PR in August, just, just last month um, by 30 seconds. And my time previously was from 2013 when That's you and incredible. I were racing, I was really fit. I was training. That's incredible. 2013 was a really big year. We did that ride. Year. <laughs> to to interbike from specialized that giant ride we raced you won dirty kanza right the 200 that year mm -hmm. uh and we did the brazil ride and won all the stages of that that, that was a big year which is incredible and did we launch our book that year too yes that was a very I big mean, year there was a lot going on and so there yeah was a lot I mean, going on that year I was so, and I was alone and I reported back to coach Tim and RPI training group. And I was like, I just beat my time from 2013 and I feel pretty good about that. And it was super cool. Cause we had, um, Mark from Strava on, you know, that mm -hmm. next week as a guest. And we kind of talked about how motivating that was to race yourself, you know, yeah. and you and I know we races are amazing because they, they bring out the best in you and they make you accountable. They give you a rabbit to chase. And ultimately though, you're racing yourself. You're Always. not really racing whoever's next to you. Yeah. Um, and this was a really purest way to do it. And that was very direct anecdotal evidence that like, I'm, you know, I can hit the same times as mm -hmm. 2013 as seven years ago when I was, you know, training a lot more full time and I have a business now and all this other right. stuff. And, so that was kind of cool. I was, that was definitely a win for the year for me. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's no, that's really pre-menopausal, awesome. post-menopausal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that I when you when you sent that to me, I was like, I was I was actually pretty blown away because that's that's very cool. <laughs> that's very cool because that's one of those benchmark years. You know, we all have them, right? Like years that you're just like, you were just doing everything and just like training all the time. So that's super super cool. Um, 
do well, you I do think any it's a good mm. note too that it's like um quality versus quantity because i'm mm. doing less hours training now but it's it's more specific and it's mm-hmm. you know crystallized into what is gonna you know you know have the most effect um and i think that's important for people to remember is like you know i'm training for iditarod is like the next you know it might be a three week long race if i get to go do it um it's a thousand miles but i'm not doing you know a training ride for three weeks um you can get a lot done in a specific hour a day twice a week and long some long rides on the weekend and i think Mm -hmm. that that's important for people to know that even elite pro athletes you know, you could get a lot done in 10 hours of training, a 10 hour training week. Right. Which, which is huge that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times what happens with, with women, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can say, oh, that's menopause or that's this or that's that. But you've, you've sort of touched on it yourself that some of the things that you might be attributing to that are also just life. You know, your parents might be older, your kids are in college or like needing you in different emotional ways that they didn't before. And you, you're trying to run a business or you're higher up and you're like, like this is a time of life where you, all that stuff really crunches on you, right? Like it's, it's just different. And sometimes I think it's hard to tease out what is causing what in your life. And, if, and, and feeling like, oh, I've got to ride my bike 15 hours a week or I've got to train however how many hours a week isn't necessarily uh, the solution. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for quality versus quantity. And it's why I, I love having a coach and being in the RPI tra- challenge training group is that mm-hmm. there was a focus and there, there's somebody to say, oh, go out and do these intervals today. Right. Because left to my own devices. And I learned this, there was a period between Dean and Tim where I didn't have a coach and um, I just didn't do as well. And things really started to slide and I wasn't accountable. And I mean, it's just like having accountability in your work or, or anything else. It, if mm-hmm. you're kind of left free reign, um, I don't make the best choices all the time, but when I have a schedule and I have you know, something to commit to, I'm a lot more accountable. And, you know, I can't say enough for people to either have a coach or a community or training community, or even friends that you're meeting out on a ride, um, because it makes you show up. Even self-motivated people. And I think we are both pretty self-motivated people. Like, I just hired a coach again, too, because I cannot write down intervals for myself and make myself do them. So I just looked at it like, you know, just like you might pay to join a gym, or you might pay for like spin classes or something. I just put that money into a coach, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's just somebody sort of like helping you out and personally telling you like what, what to do for yeah. yourself. And coaches are not just for pros. I mean, coaches are no. for anybody, you know, mm-hmm. who's, and even if your goal is like, I just want to stay fit, you know, right. like that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an investment in yourself and it's really important. I, I think now more than ever, you know, this is a really stressful year and <laughs> our own yeah. personal care, like you can't care for others until you first care for yourself, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. And right. I think women, especially, you know, are, are traditionally caregivers or, you know, doing a lot of different things, supporting other people. And we often put ourselves last in that priority list um, and really end up 
what ends up happening is just burnout. And if you don't yeah. take care of yourself first, then you can't be of service to all the people around you or your work or your foundation or your volunteer or whatever you're doing. Right. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. Did you, uh, you know, you talked about some of the symptoms and some of the stuff that you hit, like in that, in the time, the, the transitional time, if you will, did you run into any, like, of the really classic stuff? Like, I know I ran into some weight, funky weight fluctuations myself, and I had to sort of change what I was doing in the gym. And I, I don't, do you lift weights? Did you change anything that way or, or not, not so much? I actually, I mean, I, it was, it's kind of interesting. So I definitely got the night sweats. I definitely, you know, and it's hard to know if this was a period of, of just a sort of transitional liminal period of my life anyway, right. because it was really after blood road, you know, the biggest ride of my life was five years ago, a really sort of personal mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. exploration of, you know, riding the Ho Chi Minh trail and finding where my father died mm -hmm. and, the two years after that were a very much a soul searching period. You know, I kind of detrained, didn't have a coach for a while and spent mm -hmm. a lot of time journaling. And, and that's when I turned 50 shortly right, after right, that. And right. also started experiencing hormonal changes. So, you know, it was hard for me to know if I'm attributing this to just a, a really big emotional life change or a physical life change, but mm -hmm. it turns out it was a combination of both. And so there were definitely mood swings and, you know, sort of a little bit of soul searching of, you know, what's my purpose and a lot of journaling. Um, but on the physical side, you know, like I said, I wasn't sleeping well. Um, I was actually losing weight and, um, you know, I'd always, not that I've never had a weight issue, but I've never been the leanest person. And I've always had to, you know, when I stopped training, I usually would put on a few pounds and, right, right. um, that's, that was more of my typical style. But it, then I flip-flopped when I stopped training, I actually started losing weight and losing I noticed that. I didn't say anything because I don't ever like talk about anybody's body composition, but I was like, you, you definitely look different during that period. I was like, she looks well, different. Yeah. I think it was hormonal in that I was losing muscle mass. Maybe yeah. it's, it was kind of both that I wasn't training as hard. So, and, you know, I was having emotional stress and going through um, hormonal changes um, and not training as much. And so I, I was losing muscle mass and losing weight. Um, and I wasn't really sure what to attribute it to. Mm -hmm. um, and that has sort of leveled off now, but it, you know, it, so I had the opposite effect and now I'm feeling like the, the sort of healthier rebound is I need to get into the gym. I want to get in the gym. And typically right. I have not, people are like, oh, you must lift weights. Cause I have a built upper Same. body mm -hmm. and I never really have. And so now I'm like, okay, now I feel like I need to focus on that. Um, I have noticed, you know, a little bit of lack of mobility in my shoulders or my ankles and just, I'm a little bit stiffer than I well, want you to beat be. yourself up too over the years. I mean, let's be, you know, I mean, I just have, with all the know? event, the rock climbing, the adventure, I mean, not that you, not that you've trashed yourself, but you're going to have, I think that you're bound to feel a little residual of all that at this point. Right. I mean, it, I think so, yeah. but it's more apparent now that if I don't put attention to into it, like if I don't stretch my hip flexors, my lower back hurts. Gotcha. And gotcha. whereas you know, 10 years ago, I, I could just kind of like not really stretch and, and get by mm -hmm. with it. And so right. it, it's kind of like paying attention to my sleep more. I have to pay a little bit more attention to some of those other messages that my body's sending me like, oh, you're 
your back is sore. Okay, you should do something about it. And if I don't <laughs> address it, it gets worse instead of going right. away. Do you do a practice? I mean, do you do any yoga or anything like that? Or is it just really addressing things as they come? Um, I, I do some yoga, um, just like needing a coach. I feel like I need a little bit of direction there. Um, mm -hmm. I do really like doing yoga. My neighbor is a yoga teacher, so I get her to come oh, that's out nice. into the backyard <laughs> while the summer's awesome. nice. Like, Want to do a yoga class? Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a really good practice, um, but I do really like it. I'd say probably the thing that I do more is, um, the ready state. Um, my friend Kelly Starrett, who's a physical oh, yeah. therapist. Mm -hmm. He's got a, a really great um, just app and website where you mm -hmm. can like type in like, I have plantar fasciitis, you know, on my feet and, or my shoulders are stiff and they're all, you know, bite-sized chunks, 10 minutes here mm -hmm. and there. And so I, I spend a lot of time on that website, but um, it's the next phase of what I need to do is have a more, just like I have for my cycling training. And I've asked coach Tim for this, like, okay, let's put in a strength program. Let's mm -hmm. put in a stretching program because I'm finding I need to have it in the training schedule so that I do it. Right. Right. Well, so you, you do it. And it, I think it can also be for myself anyway, speaking for myself, I sometimes have a hard time slotting that stuff in myself. Like I start second guessing, like, should I do my intervals and this at the same day? You know, I mean, I think when you have a coach or somebody to bounce that off of, they can have a better sense of like, no, you need that day to just do that. And then you should do those two things on this day and take that day off. And that's well, been my a reason. Experience. <laughs> yeah. And there's a reason there's accountants or auto mechanics or right. coaches or strength. It's because they know more than we do. So you might as well ask, ask the professionals. I am a strong believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. How are you managing like all that stress that you were talking about? Sort of like keeping yourself from having the stress of running your business and, and especially like now that RPI and what's going on. Like, do you, do you meditate? Is there, is there stuff that you work into your life? to help keep all that in check? Yeah, I mean, there's some of the practices, they're all ancient practices, which is kind of amazing. And some of the things that were implemented during, you know, when I wrote, did Blood Road, um, that's the first time I ever journaled. And I was required by the creative director, Nick Shrunk, to write, to voice journal and write journal every day, um, wow. you know, for the film. Mm -hmm. And so that has stuck with me. So I do journal and actually be in prep to our call. I looked up on my 50th birthday, what I wrote down that day. And I kind of looked back at around that time of, you know, going through hormonal changes and life changes. Um, and it was really cool to read it. Can you and share so, a little bit? Um, yeah, I could read some of it, but it, I mean, it talked about, um, you know, I, I like to call it, you know, when I turned 50 version 5.0. I, I definitely uh, <laughs> saw that. I was watching. <laughs> well, and I, it's a reflection. And this is something when we wrote the book together, it was the first time I ever did that I looked back at achievements I've made or things that I've done in my life. And I, I took a little like trip down memory lane. And we so rarely do that. I mean, we don't even have photo albums anymore where we right. look back at like, uh, something that happened and writing the book with you was really the first time I did that exercise. And it was, it was very much a personal journey of like acceptance and hmm. pride of what I've done. And, you know, most of us beat ourselves up, but, but we yeah. went through that book and I looked through it and I was like, man, I've done some cool stuff and I've got a lot to be proud of. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't brag about myself and writing that book was not what that was about, but it was a, it was a nice exercise. And so when I turned 50, I did kind of reflect 
as we did in the book and like, okay, what was my first decade? What was my second decade? Right, and right. kind of looking for themes. And really I feel, I feel super excited about 50 because I feel, you know, it is a number that's all scary and everything, but I actually look at like, it's been a foundation and the building blocks for all the work that I put in, you know, as an athlete or entrepreneur, the last 35 years as an adult, all that is actually coming to fruition now. And the results of all that work are coming together in such a beautiful way that it's like, oh my gosh, I have this amazing foundation. And then the next phase is like, okay, what am I going to do with that? Like, how right. am I going to use, you know, world champions, Emmy awards, all this as a platform for actually something bigger than myself. And mm -hmm. it's a cool realization to go, yeah, all that stuff was really amazing to have, but it was leading to the next thing. And I truly believe we're all a work in progress and we're all evolving. Right. And if you, it's not like, what are you going to do next? It's like, how are you going to take what you've already done and build? You know, it's not like you said, oh, you retire from sport and then you become right. an accountant. Um, and when people ask me, when are you going to retire from sport? It's like never, because this is the career I've chosen mm -hmm. and I'm building on it, you know, and you don't ask, you know, you know, you look at our, you look at people who are really accomplished, accompl accomplished in politics, for example, that's, that's one good place to start. You don't ask them when they're 50, when are you going to retire? That's right. where a, a really great politician um, or lawyer or architect, that's when they are really hitting their stride because they've got mm -hmm. all this experience in their career and now they're really doing something with it. And why we don't look at sport that way is, is just, it doesn't work for me. And so right. um, I'm excited about 50 because I feel like I've built all this stuff that I can now, I have a, a reputation and I have a brand and I have things that I can do based on the work that I put in. So, so what do you, I mean, it, which is amazing because I mean, I think if we were, I mean, when you're like, if you're a pro basketball player, you can't do that. Right. Like you have to right. like figure out whatever it is. Like we have the luxury of, of in, especially endurance sports, endurance speaks to like miles in the legs or, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, but what, what do you look for now in events? Like when you're, when you're setting your eyes on something, I, I heard you talk about the 1000 for the, it, I did a rod now. Um, why talk a little bit about your journey through that? Because I think it's so interesting and why you're, why you're looking to like more than double it, right? It would be no more than double what you've done. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that I did ride trail invitational. I did my first one, um, which is a, a, a really extreme winter expedition, self-supported bike packing event in Alaska in the middle of winter. <laughs> it's it, and temperatures are minus 40. You know, there's, it's very remote. There's, there's no one out there. It really truly is a survival race. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm not good in the cold and I swore I would never do it. Um, but I did, uh, 2019 was my first year to, uh, to do the 350 mm -hmm. mile, which is the short version. Right. Um, and, and you won, correct? I did. Um, okay. for the you women. You don't seem I, happy with that. I love that, that little, I can hear that that was not a satisfactory. I did. It wasn't. It was more like, I, yeah, I, I won it and I finished in just under four days. 
Um, but I was a mess. I didn't do it well. Um, and I put myself in danger and I finished it, but literally I was a swollen crying mess, um, nearly frostbitten mess <laughs> at the end of it. And I wasn't proud of how I accomplished it. And so I was proud of finishing it and like, oh my gosh, I survived mm -hmm. the Alaskan winter, um, but I knew I could do better. And so last year, you know, the last, or this year, the last race I've done was Iditarod um, 2020. And that was in March, came right back out to COVID, really blowing up. Crazy, um, yeah. And this year, you know, it's much more prepared. I did strength training. I did nutrition coaching. I had coached uh, Tim with me. That was when we started in November training for this. Cause I'm like, I want to go back, but I don't want to kill myself and right. I can do better. And so, you know, I really got serious about my training for it. And I went back, um, and didn't win, uh, this time around took twice as long, seven days versus four days. Um, and much of that was condition dependent, but I was, I was, I'm much more proud of that achievement. Um, than but you went off course, like to be, to be clear for people, like it wasn't, I went this off was not course, a... the weather, you know, I probably hiked 150 miles. Of three I can't miles even wrap my head around that. Um, because it was a really heavy snow year, like an, it was condition dependent, but more, and that's what I'm really proud of is that super extreme, some of the worst conditions they've ever seen. Yeah. And I was physically much more capable of surviving. And that's the only reason I'm considering attempting the thousand mile version is because after doing a good job in 2020 mm -hmm. and realizing, okay, I can take care of myself. I can sleep out in minus 40 weather. I can make water with my stove to warm myself up. Um, yes, I made a navigational error, but like I learned from that. And yeah. so, I mean, kind of to get all the way back to your question, I mean, the expeditions I'm doing now, I did around is by far the most committing, hardest thing I've done. You know, um, it, adventure racing is the only thing that compares. You know, I used to do eco challenge for 10 years, did eco challenge and adventure racing, and those were self supported week-long multi-day events but i did around alaska that thousand mile i mean that will be three three to four weeks on the trail um alone self-supported so by far that will be the hardest thing that i've ever attempted and i the motivation you asked what's the motivation behind it so this this period since blood road where i did all this soul searching i actually wrote down you know it took, it took a couple years of a process, but wrote down kind of my life sort of navigational tools and guidelines and my own personal mission statement, as well as the mission statement for my foundation. And I don't think a lot, a lot of people write business mission statements. Very few people write personal mission statements. Um, yeah. But I needed to, I felt like I needed to know, like I came off that ride and like, what now? Like, what do I stand for? Like, <laughs> but, yeah. What's yeah. the point? And people had asked me, why do you Were do you all depressed? these hard races? I was never, yeah, I was totally depressed. And yeah. um, absolutely. And when people had asked me before Blood Road, you know, why do you do these long rides? Why do you do this stuff? You know, I never had a good answer. And after Blood Road, I was really forced to look inside and find an answer of like, why are you doing these things? And what's the point of torturing yourself or doing this hard stuff? Um, and so, yeah, I, I absolutely could classify, you know, the couple years after Blood Road as depression because I was lost and didn't have any navigational tools is really yeah. the only way to put it. 
What um, is the answer? Well, for me, I went back and, and did this process and, you know, anyone can do this. I went back and looked at the pivotal moments in my life, the really highs and highs and the things I'm really proud of and the great things. And I look for patterns and mm -hmm. I started to look for like what worked and, and, and what was the pattern in that um, so that I could replicate the pattern going forward and make, just make better choices instead of like, Oh, I'll go do this. I'll go do that. I'm going right, to be like, right. well, does it meet my navigational sort of guidelines? Hmm. Um, and it in, if anyone remembers what a paper map looks like um, in, and in navigation with a map and a compass, um, there's sort of a term that they, that you look for on a map and it's called, you look for guardrails. And that would be something that's really obvious, like a stream or mm -hmm. a mountain ridge, something that, you know, you're not going to mess up. Right. And you may navigate in between those zones, but you've got those guardrails to kind of bump against to sort of okay. keep you going in the right direction. And I felt like I kind of needed these life navigational guardrails. Um, and, and I spent that period working on that. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of through the other side of that now and, and have kind of the personal mission statement and goals. And so when I choose a race like I did around or Alaska, I, you know, I'm choosing it consciously because um, it's, I need to challenge myself and inspire myself. And people are always saying to me, Oh, you're, you inspire others. That's so great. And I spend a lot of time doing that. But if I don't have the other side of the equation and challenge and inspire myself, um, then I'm not really able to do that for other people. It's kind of like we talked about, if you don't have your own self-care and self-motivation and self goals. Um, and I, I think I spent a little too much time on the other side of After Blood Road of giving back with the film tour right, and right. all this. And I very much was giving of myself, but I, I neglected my own needs for a little while. And so now I'm kind of like finding that equilibrium of being able to do, to do both, of give to myself, but also mm -hmm. give back from my experience to everybody else. What do you hope to get, find, fill up your well with, uh, with the Iditarod challenge? You know, I, when I got back from the Iditarod this year, which to, you come out to COVID March, 2020, <laughs> and I really realized that, you know, all along I, I say I've been training for all these races and I'm training for Leadville, I'm training for this, for that. But now the races are training, I know they're training me for life. And I mean, what I hope to get from Iditarod you know, is, is growth and learning and understanding of myself and my strength and my power and adversity and ad adaptability. And I mean, all the things that we are forced to try to find every day. Um, mm -hmm. I go, it's like going to college. I go learn those lessons on the trail and then I can bring them back into regular life. And then you ask like, what are you doing in your daily life to like, you know, get rid of the noise or the stress or the other things. And it's, I have to go back to the trail. And you mentioned me getting lost this year. And I did around, I go back to like, okay, what do you do when you're lost? You made a wrong turn. You fucked up. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do now? Right. And That's I, a, tell us. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> what you either you go do? forward. What did you do? Well, I sat and had a pity party for a little while and got really yep. mad. Yeah, um, That's appropriate. <laughs> Because you were winning, right? You were doing... I was going to win. I was going to win overall. I mean, I was yeah. so ready and so prepared and so excited. I was like, I'm ready for this. And I stood on the start line. I wasn't scared at all. I was like, 
I'm, I'm good. Like I prepared yeah. so well. And so, yeah, I get, I make a wrong turn. I mean, I wasn't lost. I just was an, on the right. wrong, in the wrong place. Um, and so, yeah, my first thought is, is quit, go back, fuck it. You know, um, I'm not going to win when, you know, <laughs> um, and then it started to snow and then it got really real. And I thought about, well, what am I going to say if I turn around and quit, you know, what am I right. going to say to myself? What am I going to say to my, you know, friends, my coach? And I was like, well, no, that's not an option. Um, right. And then it started to snow and it started to get dark and it started to get real. And then it was like, okay, I, I better extricate myself and nobody's coming, you know? Yeah. And, so, and I really got into the map and was like, it, it became survival. And it's like, okay, push forward eat, drink, don't get lost, you know, manage your sweat, <laughs> don't sweat, whatever you <laughs> right. do. Um, and then actually, I really enjoyed that kind of a focus. It took away, it actually changed the focus from an external motivation of like, right. I'm going to beat all these people to right. an internal motivation of like, what am I going to learn on this trail? Who am I going to be at the end of it? And that's mm -hmm. why I'm more proud of the second year of Iditarod than the first year, because the motivation was internal versus external. And right. so, you know, attempting the thousand, what I really hope to get out of it is an amazing internal personal journey. And, you know, going to a landscape on my bike that very few people get to see. I mean, how mm -hmm. lucky am I to get to do that? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you're sure to come back with, as you said, much <laughs> that you can use in life. Cause all of this just, it, it, it all, the lines are all blurred, right? Like you were saying, like we go the wrong way in life sometimes and we mess up and yeah. What do you do with it? You can either sit there. Usually it's not snowing on you, but at some point like you got to move forward. Right. I think it's why people love to watch sport and they love to watch the Olympics or bike racing mm. or whatever it is, because you see the warrior and the fighter and you see, you know, and probably people love watching the underdog even more than the person who is expected to win or the crash right. and burn stories. And they get up because we, we want to be that we want to be that um, Olympic warrior athlete, And we can be, um, it's just people, I think if people, and this is why I think everyone should ride a bike because you go out on the trail and you can draw from that experience yourself, you know, where you got lost yourself or you've got a flat tire and you walked home and you made it, you know, yeah. all the stories we tell are not the stories where it went perfectly. We tell the stories where I got through it. I got lost. I was in Alaska and then I, I did it. And everyone has that story, even if it's getting a flat, you know, a half a mile from home and they walked home. Yep. They're not going to tell the story of when it went perfect. And so those lessons are so amazing. And so everyone can have those out in your backyard. Yeah, no, especially the heart, the heartache lessons are like you're saying when, when, and we've all done that with everything where it doesn't matter if you've planned a, a, an event or your wedding or whatever it is. And like all of a sudden <laughs> shit goes sideways and you're like that, I didn't plan for that. Like that's not, that's not wasn't in my plan. But I bet you're telling that wedding story to like Forever. your kids of like, yeah. oh my God, it started raining in our wedding and or whatever. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Totally. I think that that's, you're right. And I, I, that, and I, as we, as we like reach, like, I think 50 is, is a, is such a good time for that to like, just appreciate 
all the times you did overcome. And, you know, like you said, you, we rarely look back and, and give ourselves a little bit of a, at a girl for like all those things that you've done and you've accomplished and what you're with the foundation that you're standing on. And I love that you took some time to stand on your foundation because you've built a really wonderful foundation, both virtually and real. Um, and, and gave yourself time to not only like look back at where that you came and then look forward to where you're, where you're going to go. I mean, there's so much beauty and experience. And I, if we go back to our race in Israel together, where we're racing, you know, 25 year old world cup women who are charging and on paper way stronger than us. But I believe that we are in front of them because of experience and teamwork and mm -hmm. like that we had the years under our belts, you know, doing a multi-day race. And that was pretty cool. And I mean, that's where if somebody's in our age bracket and they're, they're in their fifties or forties or, or whatever, like what you have to build on as far as knowledge and expertise and experience is the stuff that somebody in their twenties is like, really wanting to have and they they can't have it until you, it takes years uh you can't have it until until you're you've spent decades on this earth and so celebrating actually the knowledge and experience and expertise that we have um is i think really kind of a cool thing i think that's a perfect place to wrap this up <laughs> i do i i thank you i'm i i am very um humbled and proud to call you a friend. And I really appreciate you sharing yourself. Cause I know, you know, I'll, true confession. When I first reached out, I thought she's not going to do this. She's not going to want to, because I was afraid that you wouldn't want, cause a lot of athletes don't want to talk about being older or, or saying the word menopause. I'm like, you know, I, I was, and I was respectful of that. I was ready to be like, okay, you have to, maybe maintain something of a of a facade facade's not the right word but you know what i'm saying like put up something so you're you're not worried about people thinking that you are vulnerable or that you are you know a woman of a certain age but like i i, I knew in my mind that you because you were so open about rebecca 5.0 that you you were more open but i still i was ready for rejection and i when you responded so positively, I, it warmed my heart. It really, I found it very moving and I'm very, very grateful. I'm so glad you asked because I mean, I'll go back to our book experience. That was the first time, you know, I was really honest in that book. Yeah. And we talked about a lot of stuff, fears, um, eating disorders, you know, insecurities. And I, I mean, I laid it all out there. One, because I didn't think anyone would read it. I thought just my mom <laughs> would read it, you know. Um, it and I was like, <laughs> what have I got to lose? And yeah. what was so cool is that was the first time, because we do put up a facade. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be yeah. independent women. We're supposed to be athletes. We're entrepreneurs. We've got it all figured out. And when I put out Rush to Glory with you, people resonated with the human factor and the honesty because they could see themselves in it. And suddenly that was more inspiring to them than watching someone on the Olympics on TV who they couldn't relate to. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I, since rush to glory, I've made a point of being pretty honest and I'm so glad you asked to talk about, you know, being a plus 50 athlete and, and hormonal changes because I mean, 
no one is going to escape this. No one is going to, we're all on the same journey together yeah. and we might as well learn from each other um, and, and help the next person in line. You know, like you said, I love that quote that, you know, you used in our book is, is lift while you climb and I'm still climbing, but I'm happy to lend a hand down to the next person who wants to climb too. Amen. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. And we need to do a bike race together again. I'm ready. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's very, that's a good, that's, that's awesome. I don't know what it will be, but, um, we need Alaska. Race. You want to come to Alaska? Oh my God, dude. <laughs> Out of your mind. <laughs> well, there you have it. I hope you were as inspired as I was. I think Rebecca is such a great example of all you can accomplish when you challenge yourself to go big. And I think she's the perfect example of how there's so much greatness out there yet to be had, no matter where you are now. So let's all take the challenge and live large and go out there and see what we're capable of. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Mm-hmm.